Good morning. It's uh, great to be with you all today. Uh, today we are continuing our sermon, in, uh, our sermon series called Life Together and Life Apart. And in this sermon series, we're, we're leading up to something. We're leading up to Pentecost Sunday, which is June 5th. At the end of uh, the, the uh, message, to, at the, before we close today, I want to give a little announcement. And um, I, I need to talk to my wife about this yet, but, uh, so I may be getting myself in trouble. Uh, but we're going to have, uh, Chelsea and I, we're going to take a little time away this summer. But I, but I thought, i got to be back for June 5th, Pentecost Sunday, because it's going to be a great day. It's going to be a day like a celebration. We're going to have fellowship together. We're going to have food together. We're going to have a great time of worship together. And uh, so Pentecost Sunday is what we're looking forward to. And as we look forward to that day, uh, we are going through this series together called Life Together and Life Apart. And the idea there is it, it is meant to highlight that on Pentecost we're given two special gifts. We're given the Holy Spirit that comes and lives inside of us, and we're given the gift of the church. It's the birthday of the church, in which we are given uh, our, our brothers and sisters in the Lord. And so today, we're going to continue that idea of life together, life apart, and with an emphasis on suffering and God's compassion and God's uh, care for us. And so... As we get started today, I'm going to ask you that you use your imagination with me for a moment. Pretend that you have signed up for a life group here in the church. Life groups are our small group ministry, and, uh, and you've signed up for a new group. And so the first night of, uh, in this new group, you go to the person's home, and as you enter in, there's a circle of people sitting there, and uh, in the circle is the Apostle Paul. Okay, but the Apostle Paul is... Now, what is your reaction to Paul being in your life group? Some of you may get a little bit of a knot in your stomach, like it, I can't be in a group with Paul. We're going to be studying the Bible. He wrote a lot of it. Uh, and you have a little bit of in, uh, intrepidation, like here is a guy that is such a hero in the faith. He started all these churches. He led so many people to the Lord. Like God did miracles through him, I feel so inadequate. I can't open up about what's really going in my, on in my life if Paul's in my group. And, uh, and we feel a little bit inferior with such a hero in the faith. But in the, today's message, I want to begin to kind of try to tear down that understanding if that's what comes into our imaginations. Because I believe that Paul would be far different in a group because he is a hero in the faith. Because he's a man of faith, there, uh, uh, there is not going to be in this circle of friends, not going to be this prideful, braggadocious attitude. But in fact, we're going to look at a, a passage from Paul today that displays a tremendous amount of vulnerability and openness and humility and candor. And these are actually the attributes of, of strong spirituality. You see, what we're going to see here in this passage is Paul seems to be all about comfort. And not only in offering comfort to others, but what really stands out to me in, in this passage, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, 
is that Paul is opening himself up to receive comfort from God and from others. You see, that's what stands out to me, that Paul is willing to admit that he's struggling, that he's willing to admit that he doesn't have it all together. He comes not only willing to give comfort, but he comes looking for comfort, recognizing that God brings his comfort through his brothers and sisters together there in Corinth. Seven times in this passage, it's going to use either the word suffering, suffer, or trouble. One of the main themes of this, uh, of this passage that we look at together today. And so we're going to read 2 Corinthians 1, and we're going to read verses 3 through 11. But uh, as you turn there, I want to um, give you a couple application questions just to make this personal before we read it. And here's what I want you to answer in your own heart right now. How are you suffering today? How are you suffering today? Because very rarely in our lives will we not be going through some sort of trouble. Maybe it is uh, relationally, you're having difficulties in a relationship. Maybe it's physically that you have sickness or, or, or disease. Maybe it's financially, not sure how you're going to pay the next bills. Maybe it's emotionally, you've just been feeling down and, and depressed or, or, or sad or grieving. Maybe it's spiritually, that there's doubts in your faith, that you're struggling spiritually. How are you suffering today? And then as you think about that, I am sure that not only are, is there application in your own mind, but there but what comes to your mind are people that you know and love that are suffering. Who is it in your life, someone that you care about, who is suffering? Okay, with those questions in our mind, let's turn now to 2 Corinthians 1, and we're going to be reading verses 3 through 11. 2 Corinthians 1, 3 through 11. Now, as I read this, keep in mind, any church in the New Testament does not have it all together, it's the church in Corinth. Like, read 1 Corinthians. It's a mess. But this is, uh, Paul, this is Paul's words to, to the church in Corinth. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. For just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, so also our comfort abounds through Christ. If we are distressed, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which produces in you patient endurance of the same sufferings we suffer. And our hope for you is firm, because we know that just as you share in our sufferings, so also you share in our comfort. We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the troubles we experienced in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death, but this happens uh, that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He has delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us again. On him we have set our hope that he will continue to deliver us. 
as you help us by your prayers. Then many will give thanks on, behalf for, on our behalf for the gracious favor granted to us in answer to the prayers of many. Let's go before the Lord in prayer right now. Father God, we pray that you would come and meet with us and, and bring your passion and comfort this morning. God, we come before you because this passage says that you are the God of all comfort. And so we pray that you would come and you would speak to us. God, I pray for everyone that is in this room right now, anyone that might be watching online, God, that they would be able to rely on you. That they would be able to to hand over to you the pressures, the anxieties, troubles that they are going through. And God, may you meet them in their time of need. And God, may you minister to their heart. God, I pray that as we uh, look at these verses together today, that you would be our teacher, that you would speak to us, and that this word would be helpful and applicational to us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, what, I, what I see here in this passage, just at first glance, is a person that is really suffering. Paul says that he is under great despair. Uh, he is under great pressure in verse, uh, end of verse 8. And then he goes on, verse 9, he says, we, we are, we, no, end of verse 8, still we are despaired of life itself. Says that we're, we feel like we're at the end of our rope, we're at our wit's end. He says we have received the sentence of death, and he and he gives a little hint of what he talks about here. He says that we experience these troubles in the province of Asia. I've tried to do my research and, and uh, tried to understand what specifically is Paul referring to here. I don't really know, to be honest with you. In fact. Um, I'm not afraid to say that because I looked at a lot of commentaries and they don't seem to know either. Uh, but, it's, but my guess is that the Corinthians know. And the, and the important thing here is not the circumstances or the situation that Paul is referring to. The important thing for us to know is the fact that Paul is open to share about it. He invites them in to his suffering. He says, I don't want you to be un uninformed. I want to talk to you. I want to share with you what's really going on in my life. I'm amazed at Paul's openness and vulnerability here. And I think that that uh, stands in contrast to how we usually interact with others. Oftentimes, we try to put on a brave face, right? We don't display the kind of vulnerability that Paul has here. We don't want to let people know when we're feeling weak or when we're struggling. We want to pretend like we got it all together. And we don't really open up about our struggles until uh, we don't think we can go on. We try to go it alone as long as possible. And why do you think that is? It might be because of our own pride. We don't really want others to know that we're struggling. It might be because we don't want to be a burden to someone else. Oh, if I open up, if I share what's going on in, uh, in, in my life, that person's, uh, they're, they're not going to want to be around me anymore. They're going to think less of me. And perhaps we just even minimize 
our struggles because we know that there's others that are struggling more than we are. Especially if our struggles are related to our sin, we oftentimes minimize our own sin. And the danger behind this idea of trying to sweep it under the rug or, or even putting on a, br- a brave face and going it alone is that when we suffer alone, we fall deeper into the pit of despair. You see, it's God's will for us not to suffer alone, but to have shared suffering. It's God's will for us to receive comfort in our suffering. I already pointed out that seven times it uses the words either comfort or either the words uh, suffering or, or trouble. Well, that's outweighed by the word comfort, which, in, which is used nine times here. God wants us to share in our sufferings and to receive comfort. And so there's two sources for comfort. The first is we share our sufferings and receive comfort from God alone. In the series Life Together and Life Apart, the, the apart part is that we're set apart to God and we've received comfort from God alone. The first words that Paul says here are, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion, the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our trouble. He uses the word all there twice, I think, for a reason, because God doesn't want to just provide partial comfort to us. He wants us to give us full comfort, the lasting long-term comfort that only he can provide. There's a book called Counterfeit Comforts. And in a message like this, that kind of title jumps out at me. And uh, Ravi Scott says in this book that people look for comfort in all the wrong places. People look for comfort in things or activities like shopping, being a workaholic, watching TV. And then my, this is probably my favorite, binging on ice cream. And right, we look for comfort by eating more than we should. But we recognize that all these things, and we could keep going with a long list, uh, seeking pleasure, uh, drinking too much, whatever it is, these things all provide short-term, temporary relief. The God of all comfort provides serious long-term relief and that comes from God alone. Now, uh, to say that is not to try to make it sound like our struggles aren't real or aren't big. In fact, uh, verse 5 says that we suffer abundantly. But what, it, what I also want to point out here is, and I, and I wish the NIV that I read from made this more clear because it uses a different word But in the Greek, in the original, the same word that's used for abundantly is then also used when it says in verse 5, our comfort abounds. And so our suffering abounds and our comfort abounds. In the ancient culture, that the locals that use this word would use it in reference to a balance sheet with two columns. And so I thought I would make up our own balance sheet here. What Paul is saying here is he says that our suffering abounds. And so we could make a long list of things that would go on the balance sheet. We could talk about when we have heavy grief from loss. We could talk about how we have, sometimes we're just overwhelmed with anxiety 
because of relationships or because of finances or because of work or whatever. We could talk about how we receive news that we or a loved one has cancer and it's moving quickly. And all of those things, if we were to make a balance sheet, those add up. That can be a large number. In fact, if, when we're going through our most difficult days of suffering, the number at the bottom of this suffering column can almost seem too much, like we want to declare bankruptcy. I can't keep going. It's, too, uh, it's, it's more than what we can bear. And so Paul acknowledges that. He says our suffering abounds. But then he also says, but the, but the comfort of God also abounds. And God, in, as the God of all comfort, begins to add to this side of the column as well. And we, begin to write, and we begin to see that he gives us a peace that transcends all understanding. And he draws near to us in our time of trouble. And, uh, and he understands what we are going through because Jesus himself suffered in ways that are beyond what we are even experiencing And we're reminded of his faithfulness and his sovereignty and his compassion, his love, his kindness, his mercy, his patience, and all of these things. And all of a sudden, we begin to add up on the comfort column. And what Paul is saying here is that the God of all comfort, the number that that adds up to, is greater than the suffering that abounds. I wrote down a... a, uh, a quote here from a commentator by the name of David Garland, and he says, Ministering in this present evil age brings a surplus of suffering that becomes almost unbearable. But the consolation column, the comfort column, also shows a surplus, and it is more than, the balance, more than balances the suffering. You see, this is what we're talking about when we refer to the God of all comfort. He brings comfort in our, into our lives that we might not even understand in the moment. Because sometimes when we're going through it, we don't get it. We don't understand that the, that the comfort side of the column is adding up more than what we can get our minds around in the moment. In the moment, we're filled with a lot of why questions. You know, Early, when I was uh, young, in fact, this may be my um, earliest memory, uh, I have a younger brother, and um, when I was about four or five, I remember my brother was a toddler, and uh, he was just learning to walk, and, uh, and as little kids do when they're just learning to walk, they, fe- they fall a lot. And, uh, and, I remember, and I grew up on a farm, and I remember my brother... He fell into some farm machinery while it was on, and it cut his face from his eye down to his neck. And, uh, and I remember uh, my dad just holding the side of his face as hard as he could to keep the blood from gushing out and running to the house, the ambulance rushing out rushing him to the hospital, and they sewed it up the best that they could. And um, right away, the doctor said he, he probably won't have vision on this side of his face. He won't have hearing. His speech is probably going to be altered. He's going to have uh, different uh, disabilities. And uh, by the grace of God, 
Uh, my brother, other than a scar that he hides with a big scruffy beard, uh, uh, for the most part, his, his vision is good, his hearing is good. Uh, but growing up, he did have a lot of difficulties. And I remember this being a, a burden, a heavy weight upon my parents. In fact, I remember them asking me, and I don't know why they did this, but I remember them asking me why questions. God, why would you let this happen? As a young child, why would, uh, why would you allow this to happen? And there's no easy answers when we're going through real suffering like that. Uh, any answer you give, it almost sounds trite. There's no easy or clear answers. But what Paul does here in this passage is he actually does give us some reasons why we go through suffering. And here this morning, I want to present these to you not as tried answers, but as, as real help and comfort for us when we go through difficult things. The first thing that Paul says here is that we suffer so that we can learn to help others in their suffering. You see, in verse 4, uh, it says, uh, we are comforted in our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comforts we ourselves have received from God. When you go through troubles, oftentimes you're going to turn to a person who has gone through similar troubles, right? God equips us to minister His grace in ways that we couldn't minister if we hadn't gone through something difficult ourselves. And that's a real and valuable gift that God gives us because it opens us up to be used by God in real significant ways. And so one thing we can say about what God does in our lives through suffering is it causes us to be able to offer similar comfort to others that God has offered to us. Second thing he says is suffering helps us to grow in our faith. Verse 6 says that suffering produces in you patient endurance. You know, suffering is the workshop for spiritual growth. You'll grow more during the difficult times than you ever will during the times of ease. And the Bible says that we are refined in the fire. And so we suffer so that we can grow in our faith. And then thirdly, and this I think is probably the most valuable, is we suffer so that we can learn to rely on God and not ourselves. That's what verse 9 says. This happened that we might not rely on ourselves but on God. Our natural inclination as humans that are uh, sinful in our, in our sinful nature is that we rely on ourselves. We rely on our own strength, our own abilities, our own skills, and our own knowledge, but that the heart of our relationship with God is faith. And if suffering breaks us in some way that we learn to rely on God more, then it is ultimately a lesson that's worth uh, going through, uh, that, it is, that we can learn to trust in Him. And so this is what we see here about the God of all comfort. But, uh, but there, is a second there is a second point to here that we receive not only comfort from God, but we receive comfort from one another. In fact, I think these are really tied together. Because as we look forward to Pentecost, the point of it is that God sends His Holy Spirit to live in the hearts and the lives of those that trust in Jesus and so God in one another is oftentimes how God brings comfort into our lives. And so we suffer and receive comfort from one another. Verse 7, it says, You share in our sufferings, so also you share in our comfort. 
What a beautiful picture that we have shared suffering and we have shared comfort. It reminds me of what Paul says in Romans 12, 15, rejoice with those who rejoice, mourn with those who mourn. What a beautiful picture of the Christian life. Brothers and sisters, rejoice in the mourn together. So how do we do that? Again, three things uh, jump out at the text. First, we share in comforting others by comforting others in the way that God has comforted us. That We see that here in verse 4. And surely that includes patience, that God is patient with us, that God is with us. Sometimes when we come alongside of someone who's suffering, it's best not to say anything. Just like God doesn't always give us the answers in the moment, but he's always with us. And so we have compassion and kindness and and patience and all the things that God has given to us. That's one way that we can comfort another person. And then the second thing that we see here is that we open up and we talk about it. Paul says, I do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the troubles that we are experiencing. And then he goes on to describe it. Some translations say, we do not want you to be ignorant. And I think that's an application for us again, because oftentimes we don't want to talk about it. Our culture, uh, different cultures have, uh, are better at this than others, but so often our culture is that we want to stick to ourselves, that we don't want to bother others. But I just challenge us to be transformed by a Christian culture. And God's culture is that we are open and vulnerable with one another. Paul David Tripp says, hiding in fear, silence, denial, defensiveness, and a vacuum of humble candor is more the culture of broken Eden than of victorious Calvary. And he's right. If you look back at the Garden of Eden, what do we see uh, Adam and Eve doing? Hiding, right? And, not, and covering themselves and not being open and vulnerable with each other. But then if we jump ahead to the Garden of Gethsemane, what do we see in Jesus? He's on his knees pouring out his heart to God, being open and vulnerable to express his sorrow in his own heart, and he invites his disciples with a, to come with him. Come and pray with me that you might not fall into temptation yourself. So the Christian culture that we have is to be open and vulnerable with one another. We've gotten very used to Zoom meetings, right? Uh, I got a yes right here. Too, too open, maybe. Now, let's say you have to attend a Zoom meeting, but you don't really want to be there. What do you do? You turn off the video and you mute yourself, right? You're technically there. Your name shows up on the screen. It counts for work, but you're not fully there. You don't want to be engaged. And here's what I think we've done in, in uh, our own lives too often as Christians. We're here, but we're not fully here. challenge to us is fully engage. Don't turn off the screen. Don't mute yourself. Open up. Share about what is going on in our lives. And then the third thing, lastly, what we see here in this passage is we share in our sufferings by praying for one another. That's the last verse. And I think Paul ends on this verse because it's the most important for us. Verse 11, I want to read it again. You help us by your prayers then many will give thanks on our behalf for the gracious favor granted to us in answer to the, prayer of, uh, to the prayers of many. So don't ever minimize prayer. 
In fact, it may be the most important thing you can do. When you're going through uh, something diff- uh, difficult with someone, you think, I don't know what to say, so I'll just pray. Don't say just pray. Pray is the most important thing. And it may just be that you're with them and you're praying silently. I'd be with them. Be the God of all comfort. Come alongside of them now, right now. <clears throat> and then sometimes we say, hey, can I just pray for you? And a, and a flood of God's comfort washes over them. Oswald Changer... Chambers said, one of my favorite quotes, prayer is not the preparation for work, it is the work. Prayer is not preparation for the battle, it is the battle. The most important thing we can do for others is to pray for them. So that's what we see here in 1 Corinthians 1. It is part of this Life Together, Life Apart uh, series. It is the life apart in that only God can offer us Real comfort, we turn to Him alone. We're set apart from Him. He is the God of all comfort. And it's the life together because it is through our brothers and sisters together that God provides His comfort. So I want to give us two application questions in light of that. One is, would you trust and rely upon the God of all comfort to comfort you in your suffering today? Would you put aside the temporary, short-term reliefs that we can have and look to God and God alone as the God of all comfort? And then secondly, would you be willing to be open and vulnerable to others? And we're going to have a little application meeting, in a sense, after the worship service, because I realize one of the best ways I'd I'd like to see us as a church grow in this is to see our life groups strengthened. You know, I mentioned life groups as the small group ministry of our church. Uh, in the fall, we're going to really especially emphasize this and try to get everybody plugged into a life group. Now, you don't have to wait till then, but especially in the fall, we're going to relaunch the ministry. And, and so after the worship service, right here in these first few uh, rows, I'm just going to have a vision casting meeting. I've asked all the leaders to be here, but There's room for all kinds of uh, leadership in this. In fact, if you just want to say, I want to be a part, I want to help strengthen the life group ministry of this church because I believe in what was preached today, that we are to share in our sufferings, that we are to share in life together. And I just want to encourage you, it's not going to be long, like 30 minutes at most, and I'm going to pass out the leader's handbook and uh, and just cast a vision for what life groups uh, can look like. That'll That'll take place right after the service right here in the first rows. And so that is uh, open, an open invitation to everyone. In fact, I'd love to have a lot of people attend. But as we uh, prepare for communion, again, I invite you to application questions. Would you trust and rely upon the God of all comfort to comfort you in your suffering today? Would you be open and vulnerable to share in your sufferings with your brothers and sisters in need? Let's go before the Lord in prayer. Father God, as we turn our attention now to the communion table, uh, it is here that we are reminded that you have already suffered for us. In fact, you sent your son to this earth uh, for the very purpose of suffering and dying on the cross for us. Because God, in and of ourselves, we are stuck in our suffering and in our 
troubles. And God, we're reminded with this wafer and with this juice of the broken body and the spilled blood of Jesus on our behalf that we might have your presence in our lives. That our sins can be forgiven and those things that we have done that have, that have brought troubles into our lives, the sin of the whole world that is uh, broken, the world that we live in that makes it a world of suffering. All of that is ultimately defeated because of Jesus' death and resurrection. And so, God, I pray that today as we uh, take the Lord's Supper together, uh, that you would come and just remind us once again of how much you love us. That we would be able to draw near to you. And that you would break our hearts to be more full of love and compassion towards those around us. As we have a few minutes uh, before we take the elements together, I want to just encourage everyone here right now to use this as a time to confess any sins that are on your heart before the Lord. Ask for His forgiveness. And then if there are any sins that have been committed against you, I invite you to ask that God would strengthen you, comfort you, give you the ability to forgive others that have sinned against you. So let's go before the Lord in a time of prayer. encourage you to take out your wafer, hold it for a moment, and we'll all partake together. If you're here this morning and you don't have your elements yet, just raise your hand like this, keep it up, and the ushers will bring it around to keep it up until everyone has it. This morning, and uh, you haven't placed your faith in Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord, we're glad that you're here. Uh, we ask that you would refrain from taking the communion today, but we do encourage you to pray to God because He loves you so much and to ask Him to come into your life and to be your Savior and Lord. But for all of us who have received Jesus, let's prepare to take communion together.
God's word says, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's eat. And now with the cup. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Let's drink. God's word goes on to say, For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Father God, I thank you for your great love to us that is seen in the cross, that is experienced through the Holy Spirit who lives in us. And God, I pray that just in light of how much you love us, that you would make us people of great love and grace towards others. Help us to rely on you. Help us to be filled with your spirit. Just transform us by the power of God that, uh, that dwells in us. That we could be people of all comfort because we serve a God of all comfort. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. As the worship team leads us in our final song today, I'll invite the prayer counselors to come forward. If you are here this morning and you'd like to receive prayer, this is a great opportunity. What a blessing to be able to have people that are standing up here that, that, that would love to lift up, uh, to come alongside of you in your troubles and to offer, uh, God's, and offer a prayer for God's grace in your life. Let's stand together as we sing this final song.